ultimately, pricing is a muscle. So you have to develop the practice of it. You have to get at it, like make it part of your business. This is the SaaS Open Mic Podcast, where we talk to SaaS leaders about the inner workings of growing a business. Starting a business is not too hard nowadays, but growing it successfully definitely is. Listen to SaaS founders and operators talk about their daily challenges, strategic moves, tough decisions, and mistakes made along the way. My name is Bianca Wilk. I'm the host of SaaS Open Mic. Head over to chartmogul.com for more content like this and easy access to your SaaS metrics with just a few clicks. My guest this week is Mark Bosher, the founder and CEO of Unito. Mark has spent over 20 years in startups. He was a founding member of three tech startups before starting Unito. Unito helps teams sync their apps in real time with automated bi-directional workflows. Mark and I speak about continuous pricing experimentation and de-risking pricing migrations. This is my interview with Mark. Thank you for joining SaaS Open Mic. Mark, how are you doing? Good, thanks. Happy to be here. So Mark, you've been working in the tech space for, I think, over 20 years. That's certainly a long, long career in tech. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> could, you, could you tell me a little bit more about yourself and, and your business? Sure. So I'm the CEO and, and one of the founders at Unido. The company uh, founded a few years back to solve a problem that I'd had. I mean, for decades, as you remind us. Um, but uh, Unido, uh, at its core, is a... It's a no-code integration platform. So it's a bit similar to what you'd find at, at a Zapier or Workato, but we allow you to go very, very deep and seamless on the integration side while keeping it really easy to set up for any business user. So our claim to fame, if you want, is we do two-way integration out of the box. So if you're, uh, let's say, a marketer and you're leaving, living out of Asana to track all your campaigns and your projects, and you have to work with web developers who are working in GitHub or Jira, well, we'll sync the tasks and issues across so it feels like everyone is working from the same tool, but obviously they're not. Um, so you'll get all the developers' kind of comments, attachments, status updates right in Asana, and you can respond from there. So nobody leaves the tool that makes them the happiest and the most productive, if you want. I can definitely relate. In one of my jobs, I worked for a, a company that was very uh, developer focused. It was a tool for developers. Most of the people in the company were developers. And I was the first non-technical person um, that joined. Uh, and I had to use GitHub as a project management tool to, you know, to run projects and to uh, to make any any sort of comments or, or changes that was that was challenging at first. Uh, GitHub was not designed. Yeah, GitHub wasn't designed for marketers, right? Nope. <laughs> no, I felt that. I felt that. I, I really appreciate what I've learned, but I'm still very happy that there's other project management tools that you know companies like Unito exist to help everyone use the best tool they they can use. So yeah, now Unito like is is already seven years a seven year old company. You support a variety of different tools. You have customers all over the world. I'm I'm very interested usually in like origin stories of SaaS businesses like Unito. Could you could you tell us a little bit more about how you got started in that space personally, and and you know how did the beginnings of Unito look like? Sure. I, I mean, I think we launched. We've been on the market for 
almost close to six years now uh, with the first kind of MVP. But um, as you mentioned, I've been in product and tech startups for over 20 years now. And when you're in products and you interact with every kind of department and organization, whether it's engineering or service or sales or, uh, or marketing as well for launches, but you have no authority over them. Um, that's kind of the role of product in the middle of everyone, but uh, no authority really. So you don't choose any of the tools that the other teams use, but you have to interact with them all the time. So I was the one jumping around all the time just to keep track. And it was one of those ideas where you know, someone should solve this. Um, and so you need to really just start as a basement project, uh, as a scratch your own itch. You know, uh, Let's try to integrate the tools of that product uh, and those departments and kind of put an MVP out there and, and it started getting some attention. Um, so users started using, and that's kind of it snowballed from there, if you want, going from that initial solve for yourself to, to a product and a company. That's amazing. And if you're a product person, I'm sure like that product was really in focus in the early days of Unito. Yeah, I mean, we started with use cases that we were most familiar with, but we quickly kind of evolved into kind of adjoining use cases like, you know, marketers, for example, which wasn't the initial focus, but we found that uh, marketers also had to interact a lot with technical people. Um, so that became one of our kind of uh, big markets as well. Great. But I do want to ask you about pricing today, because I know uh, you have some interesting insights around pricing. Uh, so to continue the story, could you tell us about how your initial pricing looked like and how you decided on the pricing model? Yeah, so obviously, I think everybody knows this pricing is really complex. It's always complex, uh, but in the integration space, it's particularly hard because um, you're solving a problem for a ton of different tools, right? Um, and each of those tools that you integrate have their own pricing models. So you're the customers are constantly comparing your pricing to the pricing of the tools that, that you integrate. So when we started, we were very focused, as we said, on project management tools, work management tools, and, and dev tools, and pretty much all of them were pricing by user seat. So we decided uh, from a friction perspective, if you want, to stick to what customers were familiar with. And we started charging by what we called active users, which wasn't necessarily all the seats you had in Jira, um, but only the ones that were actually working on the projects that you were using Unito for. Um, so that's where we started. It brought us quite a ways to go. And I want to dig in a little bit deeper into like how, how that first experience was and also the, the challenges around pricing. So what's, what did you experience like with, with that original pricing model as you grew the company? So it's never, I mean, pricing is never perfect. I think that's the, it's one of the challenges, like whatever pricing model you choose, it's going to fit some use cases or some customers and not all of them. Um, so we would encounter cases where the user, the user-based pricing was super simple. They would just look at how, you know, their team size or the number of seats they had in a tool and they could tell how much, you know, of Unito they needed. But at other times, A was much more modeled where they couldn't always estimate how many active users they'd have, or uh, my, we had customers that were agencies working with their customers or large open source projects where you had a ton of collaborators that were external to the organization. So the active users would kind of skyrocket, but not necessarily the value, right? So I think, you know, more generally, we were finding customers that were very price sensitive on one end. I had still salt like that, that were the right persona, customer profile that would start their journey, but the price 
was too high of a ticket for them to get started, not necessarily in line with the value they'd get. Or on the other hand, we had customers that were willing to pay a lot more, but would get away on smaller plans. Um, and so that's that's when we get, we had all these kind of little indicators. What's hard is you never know if it's just the edge cases or if there's something more fundamental that needs to change to, to capture the value that you're bringing, which is, I think, one of the biggest challenges with pricing like that is you, it's very hard to be objective about it and really have solid uh, quantifiable, quantifiable data before you actually change something. Yeah. We have a similar story to yours. We were, our pricing model was based on the number of customers that our customers had. And there was also like this lack of true price to value alignment. And, you know, we couldn't close deals without extra discounts and people had like special agreements and entry level pricing was also creating some friction. So yeah, we ended up with like a lot of different plans and, and everything. So yeah, were the problems at Unito similar to those or what what were the exact challenges that you were experiencing? Uh, I think it's it's sim- like you get a bit of everything. Um, but the, remember the integration space, you have such a breadth of use cases because one customer might be integrating Google Sheets with you know Salesforce. Another one might be integrating a marketing automation tools or a contact database um, into your CRM and uh, or as we talk about project managers. So the way to capture value is much more diverse as well. So you have more of this variance that's intrinsic to our space. And so our challenge was like, what's the best pricing metric? And there is this, we had hypotheses, but it's always that leap of faith to say, this is the right one and we're all going to commit to it. And then we're actually going to change everything and retrain everyone and, and push this out. And then it'll take some time too, like probably months before you even know if it was the right move or not. And that's scary, right? For any business. Yes, absolutely. Did you have any like definite moment where you decided, okay, now that's really time to switch or was it was it a process for you, Nito? So as I said, I think we'd been thinking about it for some time that we could do better, but like we always thought it was like, us oh, too much work. We were not sure about the benefits. Like I said, mass, it could be a massive threat on the business if it doesn't work out. So the trigger has been twofold. One is we had always been doing continuous pricing surveying. Um, so we've been always kind of learning, asking questions to our customers. And that as, as you get more and more answers and interviews, and customers, you gain more confidence uh, on your hypotheses. But that's not a trigger. It was just like reducing some of our fears in a way. But the real you know, big change was that we, a few months ago, we pushed out of our kind of project management and dev tools niche, if you want. And we knew as we were coming out with new tools that we'd integrate, whether it's, like we said, databases, spreadsheets, CRMs, marketing automation, we knew that not all of those tools were actually user seat based or didn't have a good notion of of what the active users. And it felt like more and more, it would have to be custom pricing almost per tool. And we felt like we wouldn't be able to monetize that big strategy on expanding our uh, our connectors with the pricing we had. And it was, so it was like, well, we have to make a move. And uh, so that's like, we knew that was coming ahead of time. And so we, we had time to to make the change. And you mentioned that you were just, you know, speaking with your customers. Were those conversations like the first steps towards pricing experimentation? And what approach did you take to experimenting with pricing? 
Yeah, I mean, research and talking to customers should always be ideally the first step. I think in the beginning, when we looked at pricing, it was the usual approach of doing a pretty deep, like one-shot research survey analysis cycle. And then, okay, do we make the change and or do we not make the change? But we, we eventually turned the process of pricing into a much more of a continuous thing. Um, so the surveying, instead of being these one-shot email blasts, let's say, and trying to give an incentive or, or some somewhat to, for customers to answer, like we kind of instrumented uh, in product at different stages of the journey, very short surveyings um, that would be continuous, asking every customer at specific stages on where... How did they correlate? How did they see the value and how did it correlate to different usage metrics in the product? So that's, you know, that was the f- initial phase, but it's a continuous process. And we tweak those questions. Like, here's our hypothesis. Let's, let's add, change the question. So we start learning about that. But ultimately, um, the big unlock for us uh, was introducing uh, the kind of an A-B test infrastructure for pricing that's geography-based, where you have a, a test geography of certain countries that we set aside that we could test completely different pricing uh, structures there. And, and that had a very big unlock on, on us because it suddenly allowed us to try things without as big of a leap of faith, right? Uh, without putting as much risk in the business. And that really got us going on, on some of the experimentation. And uh, who owned the project? Could you tell me a little bit about how you make sure those pricing experimentations are are run and that you learn the right things? Yeah, so in the early days, uh, quote unquote, uh, I was the one driving a lot of the pricing stuff. But eventually, when we were maybe 20, 30 people, I would say, um, we formed a more kind of official uh, pricing squad that we call. And that was that was the continuous process. And we had a squad lead that was basically the the centerpiece of that that would make sure that everybody uh, all the stakeholders in that squad because they were all kind of leaders from different departments would be up to date would be um, kind of queried on the different initiative and together that squad built a pricing roadmap which included experiments um, and sharing results and making decisions so that's it was around this kind of lead who wasn't necessarily 100% on pricing either. So none of this was dedicated to pricing, but we had this kind of squad or committee, I guess you could say, that met regularly and had a cadence to move the pricing forward. I feel like pricing experimentation is similar to customer success. It might be a, a role of, of a smaller group of person, but it's actually a responsibility of everyone in the company to, to, to really understand it and to really listen to customers. I think it's even broader because it touches a lot of the financial groups. Uh, it, it touches, there's like legal matters. There's like literally every every group inside of an organization is touched by pricing. And that's, that's why a lot of people also shy away from touching pricing um, because it, there's so many implications. Yeah, absolutely. And you said A-B testing your pricing. Could you elaborate a little bit on, on, on what you mean? Yeah, because... When you if you if you search A/B testing pricing online, like what's going to come up is like don't do it basically. Um, so it's a bit of a taboo subject. So if we if we break down experimentation for pricing a little bit, there's um, there's three kind of elements for us or three dimensions to pricing. There's the price point itself or price elasticity or sensitivity. Second, there's the feature differentiation, which is more 
packaging of your plans and what's included and not in it. And the third one is your value metric or your pricing metric, which is what do you charge on from a usage perspective? And all of these three dimensions are part of your pricing model, but they're all very interdependent. So it's um, it's really hard to like if you change everything at the same time, you'll be it'll be really hard to know what's what's having an impact. So for us, we've we've tried to test them individually. You use different techniques to test each of these dimensions. So specifically uh, on the A-B testing, so what we call A-B testing is we have a test geo. So we have, um, it's basically UK, Germany, and Australia for us because it represents about 15 to 20% of our, you know, signups and customer base. They have a, a profile from a sales side, you know, average sale price and, and usage that resembles our baselines across the world. So they were a good representative audience and we could geofence them by, by visitor IP address sign up so we could identify them more easily. And that's the odd, that's the geography where we would introduce variants of our pricing structure, but we don't usually do it for pure price point or price elasticity testing because that's basically saying I'll, I'll sell the same thing for two different prices to different audiences and it's kind of doesn't feel right in many ways and it's probably like some jurisdiction maybe illegal to show different price to different people so for us elasticity is more about like you start with a lower price and you increase cohort by cohort or over time the price so at any point in time there is only one price available but you, you see how, like, as you increase price, how does it change your conversion rates and ESP? But at least anybody who paid converted earlier does not ever see a, a lower price. And so they're kind of happy. Hey, I got in early, so I got a lower price, right? So we don't usually use that AB framework for pure, for that first dimension of price point. Where we do use it is for the other two, um, where we had, we tested different, packages, uh, let's say, instead of a three-tier structure, we had a two-tier structure that might be more generous on some features on the lower tiers to see if it affected usage over time, for example. And we tested in particular, that's what is ongoing right now, is uh, for a new pricing metric, entirely new pricing metric. So if there's customers that end up seeing both prices, we effectively let them choose which one makes most sense, but they're not directly comparable like they're they're just shaped and and, and catered to different uh, uh, audiences in a way does that make sense yes it does make sense thanks for explaining um a b testing yes but in a, for a certain use case right a b testing is is definitely uh, a term that you have to be kind of mindful of um, but you, you mentioned metrics, and I wouldn't be a good chart mogul employee if I didn't ask you about it, <laughs> because we're, of course, all about subscription metrics. What metrics do you keep an eye on while you perform those pricing experiments? Well, if you're doing any kind of testing, it, it comes down to metrics after, like, that's what you're tracking, right? There's qualitative, obviously, you want to interview, but from a quantitative perspective, you're going to be tracking all the usual SAS metrics. Um, it kind of depends how long you're running your test. So often the focus for us has been on conversion metrics. So conversion rate of, let's say, trial to paid or the average sale price. Um, those are often the, the kind of 
the the highest level, uh, the most important metrics for testing a variant on pricing. But we'll also look at very short term net dollar retention. So you know, one month, two months, three months net dollar retention for the cohorts on different pricing. But you have to be really careful when looking at individual metrics. One thing that we learned is that um, you know we were looking at conversion rate, trial conversion rate, and then average sale price. And for one test, we saw that the conversion rate dropped a bit, but the sale price increased. So is that better or is that worse overall, right? You're maybe converting less customers, but at a higher price point. It's not that obvious. So instead, our solution was to switch to more of an aggregate metric, which we created, which was like dollar converted per 100 activations or 100 trials if you know, or signups if you want to simplify. And that allowed us to isolate out, um, to like look at them as an aggregate. And on the overall, is it doing better than, than other, uh, other price variants, for example? So choosing your metric, you can't always look at them completely in isolation. And I think the other challenge with metric and pricing is it's hard to isolate the changes or results you're seeing to only the pricing. Because you know any pricing experiments, unless you're converting like thousands and thousands of customers every month or every week, it's going to take probably months to kind of get results in and have some perspective. So, and likely your product is changing a lot in parallel and you're running product experiments or a marketing experiment, their own A-B tests and things like that. So how do you know if the, the change you made, uh, the results you're seeing are due to that, you know, the, the pricing or not. And I think that's where the test geo really becomes valuable because both your control geo and your test geo are seeing the same improvements. So it's a lot easier to isolate the impact of pricing. That being said, uh, another learning, I guess, is that not all geos have the same behavior. Like I said, Europe is or UK, Germany, and Australia is pretty representative, but they do have a little bit longer sales cycles and things like that. So this is getting a little bit more in the details, but for us, we found that to compare the results of a test geo to the main geo, we had to look at um, what was the improvement over time of each of the geos and compare the improvement or the change. So if you want an example, let's say you're looking at sign up to paid conversion rate and your test geo is now at, let's say, 5% conversion rate and your main control geo is 6%. So you'd say the test failed, right? But if you, that's enough, like if you actually compare the change in conversion rate before the test and since the test, you might see that your main geo went from you know, 5.5 to 6 and your test geo went from 2.5 to 5. And that sends a very different picture on your results. So that's why we, we kind of look at how did the change from historical compare between the two geos. That, so we kind of lock on one metric and then look at each, how each of the geos evolved over time on that metric before and after the test. So yeah, it's, it's very like you have to go deep on the data and you have to have enough data as, your, as a business to be able to do this. Absolutely. I think that you've given us a lot to think about and these are some great examples of how to think about those experiments. Do you have any other takeaways, any other things that people should remember when running price experiments? Yeah, well, on the matter of, uh, you know, you need to have enough data, I think you need probably at least 100 new customers a month to make this kind of testing work, statistically speaking. I mean, we talked about 
you know, A-B testing is probably not the best for pure price sensitivity, but for packaging of features and pricing metric, it's been really instrumental for us. I think ultimately pricing is a muscle. And I think a lot of people say this, but not very a lot of people do it in the organization. So you have to develop the practice of it. You have to get at it, like make it part of your business. It's a continuous practice. So always be surveying and interviewing your customers, always be validating with your data and ideally testing continuously. And obviously it's easier said than done, but uh, it's really brought us forward as a business in a pretty complex pricing space. Pricing is a muscle and you have to practice it continuously. I think that's that's a great summary of, <laughs> of this conversation, Mark. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me on the SaaS Open Mic. I think that's it for today. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing so many detailed examples of your pricing experimentation. I think we can all learn from it. Thank you. Thank you, Bianca. Thank you for listening to this episode of SaaS Open Mic. If you enjoyed it, leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. The best teams in SaaS use Chartmogul to measure, understand, and grow their recurring revenue. Head over to chartmogul.com to try the leading subscription analytics platform. That's chartmogul.com. See you in the next episode of SaaS Open Mic. Thank you.